Hey, let's go ahead and give Grace a live round of applause. Thanks, thanks for coming. You know, one of the things I love uh, just about what we're doing here is just God's kindness to us, um, just just by Grace Alive being here. You know, Grace Alive, they're they're one of a, a sister churches. Of, they're a sister church of ours. Um, they're, they're they planted about two years ahead of us uh, over in Orlando, and really they've been so gracious to us without us even asking them. I mean, it's uh, I mean well, honestly we haven't we haven't really asked them for much, but they've decided to bless us anyways. Um, they've they've helped me navigate, helped us navigate Florida. Uh, just all that entails down here. They've given money. They've donated items. They've helped uh, me get connected to other pastors here in Tampa. Um, and, then, and them being here tonight, it really is a visible expression of God's kindness to us. It really is. Um, so I just want to say thank you to Grace Alive before we go any further. So um, tonight, we're going to have uh, a bit of an encore to our King in the Kingdom series. In the last six gatherings of 2019, uh, we use Matthew 1.1 as our anchor verse. We looked at the life of Abraham um, you know, and God's promise for, for global missions. And we looked at the life of David uh, and his promise for God to build a house, the church. Uh, and, then we, and then we prepared for Christmas and we looked at the anticipation of the coming king, uh, everything that led up to the birth of Christ. And in the midst of all this, uh, we did a special above and beyond offering. Right, we did a 2020 missions and church planting offering uh, where 100% of everything that was donated we go to missions and church planning. In New City Church, we would take none of it, uh, which might I add, um, we are a, a small church plant. Um, we did just move into a new space here. Uh, and Before we moved here, we didn't really own much. We had a laptop and a couple signs. And uh, you look around, everything here, it costs money, like all of it. We, nothing's free. Um, it may have been wiser for us to do a special uh, offering for, for New City Church for all the stuff we needed to buy. Um, you know, most, most church planting experts, they say you need about $60,000 to budget for startup costs, um, which seems crazy regardless. Uh, we were prepared for it. We've kind of, you know, we've, we, we raised money. We did all this stuff. With all this said, um, we believe God's kingdom uh, is much bigger than New City Church, right? It's much bigger. So we set a goal. Um, we set a goal to raise $6,000 inside uh, of New City Church. Um, and we're a small church. You know, there's about 50 people. And about 20 of those are kids, and they don't have jobs. They don't have money. Um, so uh, $6,000 $6, seemed like a really good goal. Um, and so $1,000 was going to go to our, church, our partners in, in South Asia, and $5,000 was going to a church plant in Roanoke, Virginia. I'm excited to announce that we raised over $9,000 for our offering. All right, let's praise God. So that allows us to support both, uh, that support uh, our, our partners in South Asia and our domestic church planning partners. But something else I'm excited about is the money that uh, was brought in above and beyond our goal, um, the extra. The extra is going to go to fund one of us, one of, one of you, to spend six months in South Asia to build and advance the kingdom in a place where Jesus has never been. That's an opportunity that we have, um, that we're praying for. So we want to be a church that sends people to the ends of the earth, and so we're going to send people to the ends of the earth. And so my question is, who's going to go? Um, be praying because God may be calling you. Uh, isn't, isn't this exciting? Right? Isn't, I mean, God, we, this is something we've been praying for, um, but there's more. There's more. So not only did we raise $9,000, uh, but in the month of December alone, while we were trying to raise money to leave our church, um, we received over $10,000 of stuff donated to our church. It was just donated. Things. A lot of the stuff that you see around here it was donated and we received over $20,000 above our normal monthly giving that came from both inside and outside of our church, right? 
Plus, I mean, praise God. This, and the, and the, the great thing about this is this isn't something that we set out to do. Like, we weren't really trying to, to do this. We weren't working towards this. We weren't asking people to give in this way. Uh, but God decided to do this anyways. You know, so get this. Everything we had to buy, every single thing that we had to buy, uh, inside our tech, outside for kids, um, 100% of it was covered through material gifts or through extra unexpected, ex- unexpected funds that came in in December. All of it, 100% of it. And so we didn't set out to do this. God decided to do it anyways. And here's, here's one example. We needed two trailers. Um, if, if, if you haven't noticed, like none of us here have an F-250, so one big trailer, none of us here could pull it. Uh, so we, we decided it'd be better to get two small trailers. Um, we had to get one special order to hopefully be here this week. One was $2,000 and one was $2,500. We got a deal on both of them. I mean, there was a scratch and a dent in a couple of them, so they cut some money off. They lowered the price. The owner knew that we were at church, so he kind of cut out some of the fees. Um, and so it was exactly $2,500 and exactly $2,000. And I kid you not, that same exact week we purchased those trailers, we had two separate unexpected gifts, and one for $2,000 and one for $2,500. It was literally to the penny, like to the penny. We were tax-free, so it was to the penny. And we didn't ask for this, but as we'll see today, the Father knows what we need before we even ask, right? And, and I, re- I really believe this was just a small way for God to look down on our church and smile with us, a tangible way to smile with us and remind us that his hand is on our church. New City Church, don't miss this. Don't miss this. The king is over the kingdom, and the king is building his church. He's building his kingdom, and guess what? We just get to be a part of it. New City Church, let's praise God tonight. Let's, I mean, this is for what God has done. We serve a king that is over his kingdom. And so with that said, before we go any further, I want to I just stop and pray and thank God, and then we'll get into our text. Father, you have been so kind to our church. You have been so gracious by granting us this space to meet in, to worship in, by sending us Grace Alive to worship with us tonight through music. Father, by being just by, by providing everything that we've needed, covering all of the gifts that we've needed uh, for for the things that we need to run a service. And so tonight, we just want to stop and we want to praise you for what you've done, how you have blessed us in so many ways. Uh, we, we, we know that you're the giver of all good gifts, and we say thank you. Right. Amen. So tonight, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Um, and this is about 30 years uh, after Jesus' birth, right, right, before, right when Jesus begins his ministry. And before our passage today, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, and then he immediately was led by the, by the, by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil devil, and he was uh, tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry. He, uh, those 40 days were really difficult for him. You know, Jesus at this time, when he was being tempted by the devil, he experienced real human difficulty. He was completely dependent on the Lord. I think that's important for us to know this going into our text, that Jesus knows what it's like to be completely dependent on the, on the Lord before he began his ministry. And then he calls his disciples, he starts teaching and ministering to the church, to the crowd. Um, you know, at this point, Jesus became famous uh, if, if, Stuart, if Stuart Scott, the late ESPN anchor, was commenting during this day, I think we would have heard Booyah on repeat. Like, that's just kind of what was going on because he was, so, I mean, he was doing so many things. He was healing the sick, the paralyzed, those with diseases. He was casting out demons. I mean, the Bible says great crowds were following, were following him. And so if you want to you you gather a great crowd, healing the sick and paralyzed, is, I think, is a great way to do it. But, so he sees the crowds. He sees all this. In the midst of all that's going on, he sees the crowds, and then he goes up on top of a mountain. And the king, that being Jesus, he sits down on top of the mountain, and his disciples come around him to listen. And what, this is what he does. He starts to begin teaching about his kingdom. 
He starts teaching about the new kingdom, the upside-down kingdom, a different kingdom. And this teaching that we're going to be in the middle of tonight, uh, we often refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, is, oft, is, is, is one of the most expansive teachings we have from Jesus. Uh, people who don't, even, who don't even believe the Bible, they read this, and they, they, still, they still follow by a lot of the teachings. It's as a great teaching. They, they reference this as a great teaching. And the very first thing he says on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 2, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. One of the things that Jesus knows as humans, as a human, and learned before he ever started his ministry is when he experienced 40 days being tempted, fasting, and hungry, Jesus knows that the kingdom of God is dependent on God and not man. Jesus knew that from the very beginning of his ministry. Jesus said in the wilderness, when he was being tempted, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Right? Do you catch that? Jesus, a man, he was completely dependent on God. Completely dependent. And then the very first thing out of his mouth, in his most famous sermon, is blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's essentially saying the way up is down. Right? The, way, the way to conquer is humility. The way to victory is dependence on God. Jesus shows us that in the economy of God's kingdom, the only currency that works is complete dependence on the king of the kingdom. And to the world, this makes absolutely no sense. This makes no sense to the world. The world says uh, the way up is to puff your chest up. Right? The, way, the way to conquer is pride, and the way to, the, the way to victory in anything that we do, the world says, is up to you and you alone. Right? We've got to pick up our bootstraps. If you want something, you've got to take it, you've got to seize the day, and it all, it's all up to you and your efforts. And Jesus comes onto the scene in the middle of all this, and he flips it all upside down. And when Jesus is teaching about the new kingdom, this upside-down kingdom, right smack in the middle of this famous teaching, Jesus teaches us, and he shows us, that dependent people pray. Dependent people pray. And that's our main idea for tonight. The gospel demands dependence, and dependent people pray. Tonight we're going to be in Matthew chapter uh, 6, five, verses 5 through 13. And if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. And we're going to see two, two points out of this, out of this main idea. Um, you know, prayer, number one, prayer is for God's glory, not ours. And then secondly... Prayer is evidence of our dependence on God. Those are our two, two points for tonight. We're going to divide uh, this teaching into two different parts uh, and then read each section as they kind of come up. It's going to feel like a running commentary. It's going to be a little bit different in some ways, um, but we're going to all close. We're going to close out our time by hitting on our main idea. But before we jump into our text, I want to I quickly talk about this concept of dependence, okay? You know, being, being dependent is often thought of as kind of a bad thing um, or negative, like, you know, being dependent on medicine or being dependent on someone for money. Um, you know, babies and kids are often dependent on their parents, which is not bad, right? That's actually healthy and good. Um, but the, the hope is to grow them out of dependence, right? That's what we hope. You know, past a certain point, this becomes a little bit unhealthy. You know, like a 35-year-old man trying to make a PB&J, getting his mom to make him a PB&J, and depending on that, uh, that's just weird, right? That's, that's no bueno. So there are other things, however, where dependence is a sign of strength. Like we depend on things that make us better or stronger, right? And without them, it would just be foolish. Like just imagine a baseball player uh, or a catcher trying to catch a 100-mile-an-hour fastball without a glove. That would just be crazy, 
right, where he, the, the, the catcher is dependent on the glove, a tool. Or how about this? A soldier in the military going to battle without his gear. You know, we, soldiers depend on tanks and armor and fighter jets in war, and often it's seen as a sign of strength. And what we'll see today is that depending on God makes us stronger, right? It's a sign of strength. When we depend on God, we're learning, uh, we're leaning on the greatest source of power available, right? We're seeing that we have the greatest, we have great strength, not weakness when we depend on God. And so being a prayerless Christian is like an unarmed soldier standing next to a massive tank, right? Facing, I mean, just imagine facing 10 uh, armed soldiers and little handguns um, and having a tank right next to them and then not getting into the tank, right? He's got this source of power available to them. But then he just doesn't get in the tank. So with the, without the tank, you've got nothing. There's no chance. But with the tank, you're showing great strength. So prayer is not a crutch showing weakness. Prayer is going to the ultimate source of power showing great strength. Prayer, prayer is taking your glove into the game, right? It, it's showing strength. Prayer is showing you're ready. Prayer is, prayer is stepping into the battle tank, going into your source of power. And so when we talk about being dependent, we're, we're, we're recognizing our own human limitations and stepping into the greatest source of strength that we have available to us. I've, I've heard it said that prayer is often uh, like, it, it's, it's like a wartime walkie-talkie, listening and communicating with the commander, right, as he guides us and instructs, and instructs his, his, his soldiers, his army. Uh, and when we cut off prayer, we're cutting off our line to the commander. We're cutting it off. And in war, that's dangerous, it leaves us to our own accord in the wilderness without vision and instruction. If you're out in the war without having any instruction to the commander, you're helpless. Like you have no sight. They see everything. See, prayer is essential. Prayer is needed. It's a must. So with that said, um, I want us to read the first half of our text. So if you have your Bible, start following along with me in, in, in Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. If you don't have it, it'll be up on the TVs. This is what it says. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, in the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm going to stop right there, right in the middle, right flat in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, um, because everything on the back half of the Lord's Prayer, this often heard prayer that we hear, uh, it builds off, it builds off of the first half. Um, something you may not, or you may, you may know about me is that uh, I played baseball growing up, and this happens a lot in sports. Um, but we would say the Lord's Prayer together just kind of before the game. Um, and honestly, it was more of like a superstition than anything. Baseball players are just known for being superstitious, but that's a side rant for another day. Um, but what's interesting that I've found about this passage as I've studied it is that we often say this prayer publicly together as like a memorized prayer. It's kind of like our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. I mean, you could kind of say it, and it's, you're saying a repetition as a public prayer, um, and most of you could probably say it with me. But what's funny about this is that uh, this was an example and a model for private prayer, like a, a private individual prayer, not a, not a public liturgical prayer. You know, Jesus said, he said, pray like this, 
He said, pray like this. This prayer was to be a model. It's an example on how to pray. Uh, it's a template, so to speak, on how we should pray. So look what Jesus says right before this model prayer. Everything, like we, we have the Lord's Prayer, but he says a few things before that. Look what he says in verse 6 before he gets to this prayer. He says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. And, the, and it skips down to verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. You see, this is, this is an example of private prayer. Um, and then he says, uh, don't heap up empty phrases. And ironically, in our culture, uh, it's, it's ex- this prayer is used exactly the opposite of that, right? It's a, uh, often a public prayer, and most people have no clue what they're saying when they say it. They're just kind of saying it monotonously. You know, and I, and I know growing up, I was actually guilty of this. I was very guilty of this, and I, and I get it in a lot of ways. Um, it, you, you know, people don't feel comfortable praying, and so people uh, will often say the Lord's Prayer. And I think this can honor the Lord, uh, but, but regardless, the one overarching theme I see in these first few verses uh, is this, our first point. Prayer is for God's glory. It's not for ours. Prayer is for God's glory. It's not for ours. So everything... Um, on the back half of this prayer, all the petitions, all the requests that we'll get to in a second in this prayer, they come off of this foundation. That prayer is for God's glory. You know, it's not ours. That, that we're, this is God's kingdom. Right? It's not our kingdom. We need to get this first. So let's look at these verses again. Look at verse 5. It says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, and they, that they may be seen by others. Do you know who Jesus is calling out here? The people that sound really good when they pray. That's who he's calling out. Like the big lofty words, super passionate, but yet their lives don't match up with anything they're saying. They only pray in public. They never pray in private. Uh, They know how to look. They know how to talk. They know how to act in public. But when they're by themselves, when no one's watching, or when when they're around the people that they're comfortable with, it's a completely different story. In, In one sense, they're giving an appearance of godliness in public, but they're hypocrites. He says, don't, don't be like them. Those that do this, they've got their reward. They're praying. Their motivation for prayer, right? their motivation, those who do that, it's their own glory to build their own kingdom. They want to put their own glory on display, not, not God's glory. But, but do you know where the, the true fruit test is in all of this? The, truth, the, fruit, the true fruit test is in your own life when no one's watching, when you're by yourself. Or when you're crying out to God. You know, the things that you do when no one else is watching, uh, <laughs> that no one knows about except God. Right? Things like, things like prayer. Praying in secret. Look what Jesus says in verse 6. He says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. There's something to be said about finding a private place of prayer intimate, private prayer, a place that limits distractions, a place that's just you and the Lord crying out to God. Uh, when, and when we do this, when we go into a private place of intimate prayer with God, there's, there's no way that any, anybody else other than God can get glory for this. It's all about God's glory. When we, when, we, when we find a private place to pray, to go and be with God, we're seeking a level of intimacy and aloneness with God that honestly for thousands of years in the Old Testament, Right before Jesus comes onto the scene, nobody could have this. But through the gospel, by Jesus being our mediator, when Jesus went to the cross, all of this is possible. 
Because private, intimate prayer with God, being able to communicate directly with God, having direct access to God in heaven, is one of the greatest benefits that we have in the gospel. This is one of our greatest benefits. When we have, we have an unlimited access to God through the gospel, right? To communicate with the God of the universe. So let's use it, right? We can let's, let's wear God out in prayer. We know that God loves to hear our prayers. We're his children. The Bible is clear that persistent, constant prayer, it works. Like it works. That's what he calls us to do. Look, look at verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. As the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Real quick, um, lofty, empty speech in public prayer, again, it, it puts light on the one who's praying. Like, it, not, not on God. And look what he says down in verse 9. Or, sorry, excuse me, verse 8. It says, and do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. And I love this. Jesus is essentially saying, listen, uh, the most important part of prayer is that we honor the Lord, that we honor God. It doesn't matter how you sound when we pray or the way you say it. You know, Jesus, a lot, in a lot of ways, Jesus is showing grace by saying this, uh, basically saying, if you ask him for the wrong things, it's okay, right? No matter what you pray for, if you get it wrong, God knows what you need anyways, right? He knows what we need because more importantly, when we pray, we are acknowledging that Jesus is the king of our life. Right? When, when we pray, we're acknowledging that we're more about God's glory than our own glory. And then when he teaches us actually how to pray, by the time we actually get to this prayer, he continues on with this same concept, with the same idea, that prayer is all about God's glory. It has nothing to do with our glory. It's all about God's. His model prayer is a prayer that gives God glory. Look what he says in verses 9 and 10 when he begins this prayer. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Look again at verse 9. I just want to read it again. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Jesus is teaching us that when we pray, that we should acknowledge, we should first acknowledge our standing before God. Hallowed is just another, it's just another way, another way to say holy, the most holy. And when we pray, we should recognize God's glory. We should recognize God's greatness. We should recognize his holiness. Now, now let me, I want to go ahead and say that it's really hard and, and impossible to get this completely right, to illustrate this idea. Every single illustration that you could ever think of is going to fall short when you're trying to illustrate God's glory. Okay? So just be patient with me and a little grace. But I'm going to give it a shot anyways. I'll never forget meeting uh, one of my all-time favorite college athletes, Julius Peppers. Okay? Uh, the guy was just a complete monster. I mean, he was a monster of an athlete. And when I, I met him in person, one, I was uh, awestruck. But two, the guy was much larger in person uh, than I ever imagined. It felt like this guy was just going to absolutely crush me. I mean, he was just going to dominate me. I shook his hand, and his hand completely, it completely swallowed my hand. Everything about it. I couldn't talk. I was a stuttering fool. Now, now I'm sure that some of you have probably had similar experiences uh, being a little starstruck, um, you know, my cousin, growing up, she was absolutely obsessed with this uh, boy band called Hanson. You guys remember them? Hanson, like the Umbop song. You remember that? Uh, well, my cousin, uh, he was obsessed with Taylor, Taylor Hanson. Uh, every single poster possible 
was like from wall to wall covering her room. It was like you just wanted to vomit when you walk in, right? That's just what happened. But, you know, and this is not an exaggeration at all. When she went uh, to a concert, she got within 15 feet, about 15 feet of Taylor Hansen, uh, and she just started to hyperventilate. I'm not kidding. Like, she started trembling, and she almost passed out. Her friend had to literally hold her, right? That, that's kind of what happened to her. And in a lot of ways, here's the connection, uh, that's how we should think when we come into God's presence, okay? Uh, except infinitely more. When we understand the holiness of God that we're communicating, when we're enamored by the name of Jesus, that by his name, believing in his name, our sins are forgiven, our debt is paid, we go from children of wrath, right, to children of God. He shows us his compassion, his love, his care. God knows everything about us, our thoughts, our emotions, everything we've done, everywhere we've been, what we need, what we don't need. The God that created the universe, we have direct access to him. Direct access. You know, at our homes, while we're driving, when we're walking, we can be alone with God. We can talk with him, to him, in an intimate and personal way. That's what we have access to. And Jesus is telling us, that when we come to God in prayer, we should come to him recognizing who God is, right? understanding his holiness. And if we truly grasp this every single time we came to God when we prayed, I honestly believe if we truly understand it, we would be on our faces trembling before God. Now, I understand that we're human, um, so for us to be on our faces trembling every time we pray, that would be a little challenging um, because the Bible also calls us to pray without ceasing and so, you know, being like, we had this thing called work and driving um, that would make it a little difficult to do those things. But when we're alone, right, by ourselves with God, there's something to be said about coming to God in private prayer. Right, recognizing the holiness and the name of the king we're coming to, bowing our heads in humility, literally getting on our faces and crying out to God. In that moment, uh, we're recognizing that this is all for God's glory. Like we're humbling ourselves and saying, this is not for our glory. This is for all, all for God's glory. Pray, because prayer is way more about God. Than it is way more about glorifying God than it is our needs. Look at verse 10. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, he's showing us um, this is how we pray. We pray, our, we pray for God's kingdom to come, right? not our kingdom. We pray for God's will to be done, not our will. We should pray for God to bring, essentially bring a piece of heaven down to earth. And that, means, uh, that means praying for sin to be completely vanished. We should pray for sin to become out of our life. There's no sin in heaven, so let's pray for that here on earth, for it to be vanished, for sin to be gone, for us to defeat sin and battle sin. That means we should be praying for souls to be saved. Begging God to save souls here on earth for heaven, right? That means praying for us to view God, our perspective of God. We should long to have a perspective of God as we would have it in heaven. That means praying for peace and love and joy and kindness in our lives and in the lives of others. And so a question that I just want us to think about tonight as we process this is this. If all of our prayers were answered, whose kingdom would be greater? Would it be our kingdom or God's kingdom? Just let that sit. Right? Just think about the things that we pray for. Who would be following Jesus? What, what people groups would come off the map? What, what marriages and relationships would be restored? What sin in our life or in the lives of others would be restored? What difficult situation in our life or in the lives of others would all of a sudden become God-glorifying? When we pray, we should be praying for God's kingdom. 
We should be praying for God's will, right? And do you know what happens when we start praying for these things? When we start praying for God's kingdom and God's will to be done instead of our kingdom and our will? We actually start living, we start to live according to God's kingdom and God's will. You know why? Because we really love to see our prayers answered. And that's a good thing. We should. We should long that. You see, when we pray, it's for God's glory. We're taking ourselves off the throne of our kingdom and placing the true king back on the throne. That's what we do when we pray. We put Jesus back on the throne. <laughs> it's the upside down kingdom. Right? The way up is down. The way towards victory is humility, humbling ourselves to pray. The way towards strength is to recognize our brokenness and humanness and to throw ourselves upon the mercy of God. And when we do that, we do that when we come to God in prayer. When we pray, we're throwing ourselves upon the mercy of God. And I want to keep going because we're going uh, to read this next section of Scripture to set up our second point. And after this point, we're going to close out our time and uh, I'm going to give us one specific call to action. So follow along with me in verse, verse 11. It says, Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the section where Jesus is teaching us how to make requests. right? How to make specific asks. Um, <laughs> you know... Praying for our needs, right? We see praying for needs, for forgiveness, for against emptiness, temptation, and evil. And one of the things I noticed about this section this week is that every single one of these requests is evidence that we depend on God, that we're a dependent people. Much like babies and kids are dependent on their children, which leads us to our second point. Prayer is evidence of our dependence on God. You know, um, there's a subtle difference between making a request out of dependence and making demands. Right? I think parents a lot of times get this uh, when kids demand things. Um, I just ignore my kids when they do it. They have to ask politely. Uh, but you see, that, you see this at work. Like it's, it doesn't typically work well to make a demand uh, out of, from your boss. Um, but I think the best example is kind of going back to our wartime walkie-talkies. Right? A good soldier, think about this, a good soldier on the ground in the middle of war, he doesn't make demands to his general. Uh, he's not going to make demands, but a soldier on the ground certainly understands making a humble request to his general out of complete dependence, knowing that he has the power to help him. It's like, hey, we need backup, right? We need help out here. Can you send a medic? Can you help us? And you know what a good general does? A good general wants to do everything possible to help his soldiers in need because he wants what's best for them. You know, there's the difference between demanding something and making a, de a, a dependent request is that making a dependent request recognizes and acknowledges our relationship to God. It recognizes our brokenness and need, that we are completely dependent upon God. Let's look at these verses again. All of these, all of these requests, they recognize and understand their relationship to God. In verse 11, Jesus says that we should pray and ask God to give us this day our daily bread. Right? Give us our daily bread. Now, this is a, a request of provision. Daily provision. The basic necessities of life. I didn't say it was a provision of abundance. That'd be nice. Um, but no, it's only what we need. He didn't say, give us tomorrow's bread. Right? He didn't say, give us next week's bread or next year's bread, which would oftentimes be our preference, if we were honest. No, he says, give us our daily bread. This recognizes a daily dependence. 
Now, you could argue here, we could, we could talk about how being dependent on God's word. We need God's word. A lot of times I think you could talk about that here as well. But the idea here is that Jesus is teaching us how to pray for our daily need, not our greed, right? Not our want, our daily need. He, we, often, um, we often get nervous and anxious when we think about tomorrow's death, don't we? Right? That's what we get nervous and anxious about. We forget to celebrate and praise God for our bread today. Our provision today. There's, there's seasons of little, oftentimes, and there's seasons of abundance. And in both seasons, in, in, in lack and in abundance, we should be praising God as the provider. You know, it's, uh, it's much easier to thank God for provisions in seasons of, of abundance than it is in seasons of little, and especially in our culture. Because it can be very easy to miss God's daily provision in our life because we just go to the refrigerator and it's there, Right? Or, or the government a lot of times can provide things or whatever it is. There's, it, we see provision of food around us, but let's not, let's not miss God's grace today that if we had food today, that's God's provision in your life. Right? If we ate today, if we feasted on God's word today, we have a reason to praise the Lord today. Right? If you had food today, we should praise God. That's enough. That's our daily bread. Now let's not miss this. Let's not miss God's provision of our daily bread now, with that said, look back at 12 and 13, the last two verses of this model prayer. It says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Again, the recurring theme here is that everything in this section is dependent on God. There's, uh, these are petitions, right, made to God, and they're made in light of our humanness. Like, we see that we have these things. They're dependent requests. We need to help us. Like, do we need God to help us or for God to do these things for us? Debts here is another word for sin. It's another word for sin. Because of our fallen nature, when we disobey God, we take on a sin debt. And in every time, in essence, every time we sin against God, we go into further debt to God. That's what happens. The greatest problem of the world is that every single person on this planet has this debt. Every single person in this room, every single person in Tampa, Every single person across the globe has this sin debt, has this problem. And because we've all disobeyed God, we all do it every day. And the great problem with this massive debt that we all hold is that the only way we can be with God for eternity, the only way we can come to God in prayer, the only way God hears our prayers is for us to be debt-free, for our sin to be completely gone. But again, the problem is there's nothing we can do to get rid of our debt. There's nothing. <laughs> but the beauty of the gospel is that God made a way. Right? God made a way. This is the good news of the gospel. In spite of our disobedience and sin, God sent Jesus to die on the cross and to take away our sin debt. When we trust in Jesus, when we put our faith in Jesus, when we proclaim, we can pro proclaim that our debt has been paid. Our sin is gone. Our debts have been forgiven. And because of this, we can enter into God's kingdom and go to the throne of God, not only for eternity, but we can go to God daily in prayer. It's very clear that without Jesus, without forgiveness of sin, our prayers are hindered. They're hindered. But through Jesus, when we've been given the greatest forgiveness possible, this made available to everybody here, the burden of guilt and shame, no matter what wrong we've done, it can be taken away. All of it. Gone. <laughs> Every person here tonight, by trusting in Jesus, can have our sin debt paid and access to God. And it's a gift. 
It's a free gift that we all have available. So with that said, one of the things that Jesus is pointing out in this prayer, when we understand this gift, when we understand that we've been forgiven, and then we can also forgive others. When we understand that, maybe you've heard it said a different way. Those who've been forgiven much also forgive much. Right? When we understand what we've been forgiven, we can also in turn forgive others. And he says in verse 13, after this, he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Every single one of us, every day we face temptation. Right? It's the nature of our fallen world, but uh, just like Jesus modeled for us a few chapters earlier in Matthew chapter 4 when he was being tempted by Satan, we too can be tempted and not sin. Right? Jesus is saying we should pray to not even be tempted, right? that we would run from our sin, to not put ourselves in bad situations. What he's saying is that God's grace, right? he's, saying, he's, he's reminding us that by God's grace we can grow away, we can grow away from temptation. And we should pray for this. The more we grow in Christ, the less tempted we are by the world. Right? But, but when we find ourselves in, finds, in times of temptation, we should pray to be delivered from evil, to not sin against God. We can be tempted and not sin. Right? When we're tempted by sin, we need to pray and ask God to deliver us from evil. That's what he models before us. We should pray for all these things. We should seek continual repentance and seek you know, flee from sin and temptation. And when we pray regularly for these things, our lives, they start to change. We start to want to see those prayers answered. I, what I love about this model prayer is that in all of this, it's understood in light of our dependence on God. It's clear that we need to depend on God for forgiveness because only through the gospel can we be forgiven. Right? We need to depend on God. We need to depend on God to fight sin and temptation. And there's nothing in us, there's nothing that we can do. We can't do this alone. We should beg and plead God to help us, to help us become more like Jesus. Right? This is what we should plead for and beg God for in our private, personal prayer. Right? When we're alone with God, all these things, all those requests in the second half of this model prayer, our daily bread, our forgiveness, our deliverance from sin and temptation, they're all understood after first we understand God's kingdom to come. We pray for God's kingdom to come, not our, our, not our kingdom. And we start to pray for God's will to be done, not our will. God's kingdom and God's will is for us to have daily bread, not our annual bread, but daily bread. That's God's will. God's will for us is to grow deeper into the, into the gospel, to grow in forgiveness, to fight sin. When we think about the gospel, when we think about what Jesus did on the cross, and how we are dependent on Jesus for everything. That without Jesus, we have overwhelming burden a, a, a burden, a debt that can't be paid. When we recognize this and see this, we see that the gospel demands dependence. The only proper response to the gospel in light of this is to throw ourselves upon the mercy of God. To throw ourselves upon the mercy of God at the very core, the essence of the gospel is complete dependent on Jesus, dependence on Jesus. That's the core of the gospel. Being completely, utterly dependent on Jesus Christ. Because without Jesus, we have nothing. Without, but with Jesus, we have everything. So our main point tonight is that the gospel demands dependence, and dependent people pray. If at the essence of the gospel is dependence upon Christ, 
And prayer is our means to communicate with God, our source of dependence. The only thing that makes sense for us is for us to continue to throw ourselves upon the mercy of God. And if we do not pray, we are essentially saying to God, we do not need you. That when we're, uh, when we're prayerless, we're just putting our face against God and turning against him. Prayer is evidence of our dependence on God. So with that, with that said, New City Church, I want to call us to pray. I want to call us to fervent, continuous prayer. If I desire for our church to be marked by anything, it would be that we would be a church that is completely dependent upon God. If there's anything from man, I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it for our church. I want to close out our time tonight by putting before us a plea to pray, a plea to call our church to recognize our dependence on God. Um, I don't know if you knew this or not, but we've got a lot coming up in the next several weeks with Kids Week and launch. And I want us to be pleading before God to move, for God to save people, for God to bring his kingdom down to earth. But in all honesty, as I've kind of worked through this passage, uh, this could be more for us than for others. I really believe this. Everything we're doing, it's for God's glory. This is not for ours. No matter what happens with all that's coming up, when we throw ourselves upon the mercy of God in prayer, constant, continual prayer, I truly believe that God receives glory and he's pleased, regardless of what happens. Our, our job in prayer is to praise God. So with that said, between Friday, January 17th, the first day of Kids Week, and Sunday, January 26th, our launch day, uh, we're going to host 10 days of continuous prayer. 240 hours of continuous prayer, right? And this will come from us here in our church, our friends, our families, our supporters, our sending church, our partner churches. And over, the pa- over, the, over these 10 days, there are 240 hours, which means we have 240 time slots that need to be filled. You know, I have no clue, um, like I said, what's going to happen over the, over the next few weeks, but I'm convinced, and, I, and what I know to be true is that we are utterly dependent on God for everything, everything. Like we are completely dependent on God for our life. Right? We're completely dependent on God for the forgiveness of sin, for our provision, everything. And, and prayer is the fruit of our dependence. And we're a dependent people. Independent people pray. And so we're going to pray. And so we have to ask, what is God calling you? What's God calling your family to? Maybe it's one of these time slots. Maybe it's an hour. Uh, maybe it's one hour each day. Regardless in all of this, uh, this is all for God's glory. This is not for, not for our glory. Let's pray. Father, we, we come before you as dependent people. We depend on you for the gospel, for salvation, for life, for breath. Father, we know that every, every word comes from the mouth of God. We depend on every word. And so, Father, we want to take this time and honor you. We, want, we pray that you would be pleased by these 240 hours of continuous prayer. Our efforts to give you glory, God. Father, you, you deserve all the glory and all the praise. And Father, we just want to throw ourselves upon the mercy of God in prayer. And so we ask that you would be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.